0: When I bought my Chanel bag, which was probably like $6,000, I was probably making somewhere around $60,000. So imagine like 10%. So it wasn't like I was making a lot of money. I was just really into this bag. You're listening to the Wedding to Wealth podcast, where you'll hear real stories from real people who are on the path to building real wealth. These stories will show you how to earn more money, pay off debt, start investing, and make better money choices so you can build wealth for your future. Now, here's your host. Michael Lacey.
1: What's up, what's up, what's up, teammates? This is episode 43 of the Winning to Wealth podcast. And on this week's episode, you're going to hear a great story that really centers around developing new money habits. Joining me this week, I have the creator behind Investing Latina, the one and only Julie Alma Taveras. Julie can be found on YouTube where she creates videos to educate women about personal finance, investing, and entrepreneurship. She hosts the Ask Me Money Things show on YouTube where she answers questions from her viewers on how to manage their money more efficiently. She's a contributing editor at Next Advisor, which is in partnership with Time, where she writes about personal money stories from the lens of an immigrant Latina. Now that's quite a background, but Julie didn't start off this financially savvy. Julie did have some money challenges in her early adulthood, but as you can see, that didn't stop her. Those money challenges are what forced her to create the necessary habits to go from super spender to savvy investor. Now, I'm excited for you to hear from Julie. So before we jump in, there's one thing you've got to do. I want you to be in the loop whenever we drop more interviews like this one. So wherever you're listening to this, reach up and gently tap the subscribe button to keep hearing these great stories. All right, now let's jump right into my interview with Julie Alma Tavares from Investing Latina. So Julie, I'm excited to have you here with me today. I'm a big fan of yours on Instagram. I love, love, love your feed. You're always entertaining, but informational at the same time. So I'm excited to kind of hear you in this podcasting medium and share your journey with the audience as well.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I, I love talking about this stuff and I also have so much respect for all the work that you do. So thank you for inviting me.
1: You know, in, in doing the research that I did for this episode, I came across something you said where at one point you spent like thirteen hundred dollars on a pair of shoes I want to know like did you grow up in a household where like that kind of spending was the norm or was that something that you kind of stumbled into in in your early adulthood
0: I feel like I definitely did not see my mom buying $1,300 pairs of shoes, but I did see her shopping a lot and my dad as well. Uh, we love looking good. And that's kind of what my mom has kind of set an expectation of like, oh, you know, you go out, you have to be very presentable and you have to make sure that that you are, uh, you know, projecting your best self. And that's something that has always kind of been very important, I think, for our family. but. It, the thirteen hundred dollars shoes, I don't. My mom was not proud of that. She was like, "You're crazy." She's like, "How could you do that? That is there's no need for that." Uh, but it was something that I did kind of develop in the fashion industry. So that's actually what I studied and what I love and have always had a passion for. Like I went to the high school fashion industry and then I went to college for design. And when I was studying design, um, I was really just shopping and doing a lot of research. And that was also kind of my excuse, like, oh, this is market research. This is necessary. But it wasn't necessary for my credit card. (laughs) And I um, eventually kind of just, it it kind of snowballed. And and eventually it did really become a sort of shopping addiction that I would use uh, an excuse to really Kind of get away from my feelings and uh you know emotions that I felt, I was like, You know this will make me feel better and it was a it was a tough lesson to learn after getting into so much debt and and realizing that those shoes were just sitting in the closet. I only wore them once in a while. uh I still have not gotten a good return on investment on those shoes. <laughs> I do still love them. I have to say, you know, I do still love them, and I think that. When it comes to spending a lot of money on things, we can either just do it and not think, and then deal with the consequences later, or some people really take the time to, you know, think about what it is that they want and, and hopefully really feel like they can get a lot out of it. And, and I find, I don't want to tell people that there's a, a problem with that, because I think that makes total sense. If you're going to spend big on something, uh, think it through, but- you know, be be sure to think it through and make sure that it's the right thing for you.
1: Absolutely. And I love that you said that because you know sometimes we get, especially in the personal finance space, we get kind of caught up in telling people to spend less, spend less, spend less. And there is a space for that. But I think the key is not necessarily always spending less, but spending better. Right. And and making better decisions that add value to your life. So I do want to ask, like because you said that you were kind of a shopaholic at that time. So like how often were you making purchases like that?
0: Oh my Goodness. Okay, so I've I've had some major purchases when it comes to fashion and accessories. I have bags that cost $6,000, Chanel bags. And um, I have shoes that are in that $1,300 range. But I would say if I had to give it like a time frame, maybe once a quarter, I would do it like big purchase like that. But the thing was that it wasn't just big purchases like that. It was those big purchases once in a while. And then tons of little purchases in between, you know, and that's why I, I was snowballing into that habit of of over shopping and overspending, because I would, I would, I wouldn't go too crazy, like spending buying a Chanel bag every week, but I did do it enough to the point where I couldn't afford that lifestyle anymore
1: right so listen and I know some people out there they're probably thinking like what the heck kind of money was this girl making to be spending like that so do you mind sharing a little bit about the income range that you had around that time
0: yeah sure I feel like when I bought my Chanel bag which was probably like it's six thousand dollars I was probably making somewhere around sixty thousand dollars so imagine like ten percent so it wasn't like I was making a lot of money. I was just really into this bag and felt like I needed it. And it was like this passion and, and this want that I had that even though I really could not afford it, even though it made up a a chunk of what I was bringing in, I still felt the need to have it.
1: Let's t- explore that a little bit. So did you feel like you were struggling financially as you're spending like this or were you managing to kind of somehow feel comfortable while spending this amount?
0: I don't think I felt like I was struggling until it really all kind of hit me at the end of it. You know, I felt like, Oh, you know, credit cards, whatever you just pay them off whenever. And that's kind of the the mindset that I kind of got from my parents. Like we live our whole lives in debt. So for me, it kind of, Thought, I thought it was okay for a very long time. I was like, you know, I'll just put it on my card and I'll pay it off when I can, I'll pay minimums. But then when I realized that I was paying minimums and the price, the the amount wasn't going down, I'm like, wait a second, there's something wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's so funny because it was kind of like that, that lack of education when it comes to uh, financial literacy that it, I, I had to kind of really figure out on my own But I don't think that I, I felt like I was struggling, but the struggle did come when I made the decision to get out of that debt. I was like, you know what? This, this is not cute. Like it doesn't matter how many shoes I have in this closet. Like these numbers are looking crazy right now and I have to do something about that.
1: So was there like a a big moment? And and the reason I asked this question is because I know like for me I grew up seeing poor spending habits as well. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to break those when they're so ingrained in you. It it almost feels like swimming upstream, right? Yes. So like for you, I mean, what was that moment where you said, "Okay, something's not right. I need to go in a different direction."
0: So in hindsight, and I I don't think this was something that at the time I really realized, but my father did get sick. In uh, 2013, and that really kind of impacted how I started to think about things. And realizing that I've always had my parents; they've always been there for me. I lived with them through college because I decided to stay in New York, and and I commuted to college. I didn't, for some reason, I thought that living on campus wasn't worth the money I don't know thank me I guess I I made some sort of good decisions back then but I was like no I'm just gonna work like commute and enjoy my mom's food at home Um, but then when that happened it was a little bit of a it was a slow wake-up call where you know it took me probably another year and a half two years of him going through all of his treatments for me to kind of Realize, like, you know, you're not always going to have the support. So, back then, I could really depend on them if something were to happen. But I figured if something were to happen to my dad, who would take care of my mom? You know, and I'm the oldest of three girls. And so I'm like, okay, if something were to happen, I'm the one that has to step up. And I can't step up and take care of my family if I'm out here spending crazy. So it it was it was slow, but it, it definitely in hindsight, I realized that that was kind of a little bit of a turning point and how I how I decided to switch up how I was spending my money and just kind of reprioritizing the uh, important things.
1: OK, so as you say, reprioritizing the important things like what were some of those initial habits that you had to develop or change to start moving in the right direction?
0: I think initially it it really started with dining out because I did it and it was just kind of like oh it's it's what I do I buy breakfast I buy lunch I buy dinner out out all the time out and I think that was one of the first things that I'm like wait a second I'm looking at my bill and I feel like it was, one year it was like ten thousand dollars for the year where I look back and I'm like what I spent ten thousand dollars dining out on restaurants like. I don't even remember these moments. <laughs> so it was, that was probably one of the first habits that I was like, "Uh, uh-uh, this, this is not going to work because if I really want to pay off this debt, I have to start cutting back. And I think that was probably one of the, the first things that I did.
1: So, you know, and I know from firsthand experience that that is not easy because the first month that I ever sat down and really tracked my spending, did a budget, that sort of thing. I realized that I had spent more money on food than rent the previous month. Mm, wow! And undoing that was so hard because it was so convenient. And what I learned is like I wasn't managing my time well. So I was always grabbing stuff on the go and, you know, doing yes. all this stuff. So talk a little bit about undoing that habit, like what that was like for you.
0: It was tough for sure, because I feel like even twice a week, I would go out with friends after work and just kind of uh, catch up and, and try new restaurants. And I live in New York. I mean, it's, we have new restaurants every single week and there's always something new going on. And it's so tempting to, like, I love looking up the New York Times list for new restaurants and we would always end up going there, (laughs) which is why it was $10,000 for that year, um, but I, I think that just doing a little bit less of that, I started, you know, because it's really about every, all the information that you take in. The information that you, that you take in really has an effect on your output and what you do. And so I was like, you know, let's, uh, I'm not going to be checking that list all the time. So I feel like I, I cut back on that. And I really had to say no to people and friends. And I think that that was something that I was not used to. I'm a very, Yes, type of person. I'm a very positive type of person, which is a great thing. Uh, I'm optimistic. I, I see uh, the silver lining in situations. And that's a good part of it. But a, a, a bad part of it is that I also am afraid to say no to people. And that was a lesson that I had to learn. And it did really affect my relationships with my friends because it's like, oh, you don't want to hang out with us. And it really wasn't that. And I had to like slowly kind of try to explain that. And I wasn't straight up about it. I wasn't like, oh, it's because I'm trying to pay off debt. It was more so kind of like, you know, I, I have other things to do. So I really avoided these type of conversations that I, I kind of wish I tackled because it's such an important thing. But the shame that came from all of that debt was really what held me back from doing that and from talking openly about these things so it really affected like relationships but what I realized is that my friends that were my true friends they're still there you know they didn't Mm -hmm. go anywhere they're like okay we're gonna do something different because obviously you ain't trying to go out and spend all this money (laughs) (laughs) but we would go on picnics and you know just keep it simple and and the point of even getting together with friends it's just to be together that's it it doesn't have to revolve around oh let's do this or these activities or this food or whatever it doesn't have to be that way like yes it can that's awesome and and it's exciting especially if there's a new restaurant in town that you do want to try once in a while that's great Uh, but it doesn't have to be the anchor of the relationship you know it doesn't It doesn't have to uh, be the main reason why you get together. The main reason for getting together with my friends is to catch up and be supportive of one another and engage and, you know, all of those things that I didn't realize back then that now I understand what that means.
1: Right. So I remember earlier in the year, you made a post on Instagram and you talked about a survival number. Can you talk a little bit about that and just kind of explain that to the people listening right now?
0: Yes. Okay. So my survival number is something that I came up with last year and I gave it that term because I thought, what exactly would I need to spend in order to survive? And that number is 581, $581, which is Really, really low, and I can kind of explain why. Yeah, yeah, you got to talk
1: about how you got to that point.
0: (laughs) But once I came up, once I, I did the math and saw that that was the number, it really gave me so much ammunition for my goals. And I was like, this is all I need. This is all I need in order to be good every single month. Everything that I do beyond that is just fun, and it's just growth, and it's just I could do whatever I want with that so it actually opened up my mind even more to opportunities it didn't make me feel constricted it didn't make me feel like oh you know this is what i have to stick to it, it made me feel empowered and i think that that's the the beauty of that my survival number which i talked about i, I wrote about it for time magazine recently their new finance website uh, next advisor and i created a simple budget for budget sheet for it which is free and you all can use it. You can download it. It's super easy to use because I'm a minimalist and I don't like super complicated things. I'm not the type of person that has a binder as a budgeting tool. (laughs) Like that's just not for me. I can't (laughs) have too many things going on. I I need the basics. And that's also why I love my survival because it it really revolves around simplifying your life.
1: Okay. So I'm not going to let you slide off without talking about how you got to that point. And and let people know where you live, too, because it's not like you live out in some little podunk town. Like you live in a very expensive place with a number like this.
0: Yes, I live in New York. I live in, in Yonkers, New York, which is just north of the city. And the reason why my survival number is so low is because I only pay $86 of rent every month. And I do that because I apartment hack. And maybe you've heard the term house hacking, where someone will buy a uh, two-family home and uh, the rent actually covers a lot of the mortgage. Well, I decided that that was a cool concept and I wanted to apply it to living in New York. And in New York, I don't have a home yet. I live in my apartment. And so I was like, wait a second, can I still, can I kind of apply this to my situation? And so I have a four bedroom apartment and I rent out the rooms and it's, it's a cohabiting situation. So I technically don't call them roommates because it's not like, Hey y'all, let's find a lease together and let's split this. Like, no, the lease is in my name. I am fully responsible for paying this and I separate the rooms and it has worked really well. I've been doing it for, I guess a, a, almost two years at this point. And, and it works really well. And what's so interesting about the situation is that I grew up cohabiting when we came from the Dominican Republic, because I'm an immigrant. We were like, Twelve of us in in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, so it was just like, listen, we in this together, and we we have to live like this until everybody can build some credit history and apply for their own apartments. And that was that's something that stuck with me. That's something that's like that kind of felt normal. And in general, I kind of like being around people and having others around. I'm not the type of person that really enjoys a quiet place and there are people like that and and i do like my quiet time but i also like being surrounded by people so it really works for my situation i know that for many people that's not something that they want to do but the wealth that i've been able to build in the last two years because of that highly recommend
1: Okay, so I want I want to take this opportunity. And I want to I do want to say I'm going to link to everything you mentioned the time article and and your spreadsheet and all of that in the show notes. So you guys look in the episode description, get the link to the show notes, go check all that stuff out. But I do want to I mean, ask you to kind of get a little specific on the people who heard that and are a little interested in finding their own survival number. What are some steps that they need to take to find their survival number?
0: yes so essentially think of how you are as a person and what you'd like and honestly it's funny because a lot of people start with oh what what's the rent and what's the food and yeah that's but that's a little bit easy you can get to that it's simple numbers because you know what it is right but actually i recommend that you start with how you are as a person what do you enjoy and one of the categories there's only eight categories in my survival number a uh, template sheet which you'll see in the show notes there's only eight categories and that last category is, is, is entertainment what makes you happy what do you like to do what are the things that you enjoy you know and this is your opportunity to to kind of self reflect and get to know yourself so for me the only thing that i have listed on my survival number for entertainment is spotify i can spend the whole day listening to music and browsing and creating playlists and then sharing them with my friends and being djs and and uh, building one together like that's so much fun for me and then on top of that the knowledge that we build by listening to a podcast so i felt like if i can only pick one thing in terms of entertainment Spotify would be it. I would listen. And I feel like, you know, they should sponsor this.
1: I was just, I was literally going to say Spotify. Hey, y'all got to cut the check, man. Cut the check.
0: Sponsor this episode, Spotify. But I have that there because I realized that if I couldn't do a lot of other things, if I couldn't go out to dinner all the time and if I couldn't like go do fun things like, like bowling, you know, which is fun. I like to do. But if I, couldn't do those things and I needed to keep it very simple I could be entertained by music and so you have to know those things about yourself you know and that and build that into your entertainment so start there what you like to do who you are as a person what makes you kind of excited in the morning and then also include those things that are necessities which you know I don't even got to tell y'all the rent the, like electricity all of that all of that good stuff and you you build that up and then you figure out that basic number. So the goal is to really have that survival number be your starting point. Because as soon as you have that, like I said earlier, everything after that is a bonus. You could still do whatever you want with your money. You can go out, have fun, plan uh, outings, or like I like to do, you could invest it all. <laughs> you could invest a lot of that extra um, so yeah, that I, I would say, start with knowing yourself,
1: Julie, I'm gonna tell you like from the beginning until just this point, this has been just like a fire episode, just from <laughs> you going from shopaholic to where you are now, like that is podcast episode in itself but it doesn't (laughs) stop there because you just mentioned like you use that money to start investing so I, I know that part of your story was you started back when you were 19 years old so talk a little bit about that like how you got your start with investing
0: yes absolutely so I started because I had worked for a nonprofit and it was just a temp job that I did in between classes because I, I went to school in the city even though I still lived in Yonkers and in between classes I would do uh, temp work throughout the city and I ended up temping for a nonprofit organization. So I was temping for them and then I ended up taking the job a job, a full time job for them in the summertime. And they offered benefits like immediately, like as soon as we started, which I think is not very common in general. Usually you have to kind of wait a while before you uh, can have are entitled to all of the full company benefits and packages. But they the girl that was in H.R., she happened to be a Puerto Rican girl. She wasn't really excited about her job, you know, thinking <laughs> thinking back on it. She's like, listen, uh this is free money, so you should just sign up and just do it. And I was like, uh, wait, did you say free money? I'm like, well, shouldn't you say that with a little bit more excitement? But she said that and it stuck with me. And I'm like, oh, if it's free money, yeah, sign me up. I'm all about free money. I like that. Even though I like to spend, I was like, listen, I like to, I like to bring it in too. So um, I signed up for what is known as a 403B. It's a 401k version, but for ni- for nonprofit organizations. And I signed up for that. I was 19 years old. No idea what I was doing. I had no clue what I was doing. And I uh, started investing $50 per paycheck, I believe it was. And and now I invest $500 plus a month into uh, retirement. So that is a retirement account. And I started small. I had no clue what I was doing. I was like, yeah, uh-huh, sounds good. Okay, free money. I like that.
1: So, okay, so you started small. You started with 50 bucks. So- Yeah. And you said that you've learned a lot since then. So where did you start to learn the different techniques and strategies that you use today for investing?
0: Yes. So I uh, started with the $50 and I slowly, when I, when I started seeing that account grow and this was like actually, you know, financial crisis time and we, things were not well, but I also had very little in the account. But i kept adding to it and it took it didn't take very much time to really bounce back after that for the for the stock market to bounce back after we had the financial crisis and i'd like to see that money that amount go up and i think that seeing that amount go up really also put fire into me i was like wait a second i like how this is looking because not only am i putting in money my employer is putting in money and it looks like there's some other people working out there that are also putting in money. <laughs> so seeing those three parts of it and, and seeing the account slowly build up, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit more. And so I, I, I matched up to what the company matched. Because remember, I only started with 50. And so they were giving me 50. But then I realized, wait, if you contribute up to, I guess it was maybe 4%, they'll match you on the of your salary, they'll match you 100% on that. So then I did the 4%. And then probably like a couple years later, I was talking to my uncle about it. And my uncle works at Goldman Sachs. So he's a, a, a financial and, and tech person. And um, he's like, wait, you're only doing whatever I was doing, maybe like 5% or at the time. Maybe I had increased it to 6%. He's like, you don't have kids. You're not paying rent because you're still living with your parents. You better increase your 401k to 10%. And I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. <laughs> and and I did that. And it was one of the best decisions I made because the timing happened. You know, we can't time the market. Just consistently invest and you'll be you'll be good to go. So um yeah, I, I started to increase it. And then I also started reading my statements. And I encourage you to do that. If you're reading, if you're listening to this right now, open up that email. Open up, log into that account, look at your statement, see what you're invested in, and you're going to realize that. Oh wait, I have some Google, I have some Apple, I have some. You know, these are companies that uh, they're the best companies in our in our country, and you are invested into them. So I think when when you can see that and you can get a little bit more detail behind those fifty dollars that you're contributing, then you become a little bit more involved
1: so as a result of that right so you start with the workplace plan i mean how has your strategy evolved since that time
0: Mm -hmm. well a big thing is that i actually no longer work for a corporation so i no longer have access to a 401k or a 403b i work for myself now and I've been doing that for two, two, three years at this point. And, um, so I'm a consultant and I work in the fashion industry and I'm also a writer and, and producing on YouTube. These are all things that I do. I work for myself. So I don't have access to a 401k. What does that mean? That you have to think about things differently. You have to figure out, okay, wait a second. If that, if there's no 401k for me, what is there for me? And what is out there for you is IRA a uh, SEP IRA, a solo 401k, these are all same instruments. They're designed for you to invest for that long-term, for when you're going to retire. And investing for retirement is not something that's talked about in my culture. Uh, like we're Dominican and we don't, you know, my parents didn't put money aside in, for retirement in terms of, or or not that the, the, they didn't put it aside, but they didn't invest it in a market where they're getting seven, 10% back from. So I had to just navigate those waters on my own and learn slowly that it was, you know, a good vehicle to secure a, 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 a dignified retirement.
1: Okay. So going all the way back to the beginning, right? You were a shopaholic that you described yourself that way. Then you get to this point where you realize you have all this debt and you start changing your habits. So I want to tie everything all together. How did the habits that you had to develop in those early days make you a better investor?
0: I think that the habits of being consistent makes you a good investor. So if you're consistently choosing to pack your lunch, just maybe two, three days a week, whatever that might be. If you're consistent with that, oh, you're consistent, consistently going to save a lot of money on uh, from dining out and buying lunches. So I think that little habit translated well into investing. So because I decided to take that small step of, of packing my own lunch and, and and doing that saves you a lot of time. That's what you have to realize. That same exact concept relates to investing. Because if you're consistent, consistent dollar cost averaging makes your life easier. You don't have to think, Oh, how much is VTI at today? Or let me try to buy the dip or let me do this research on how Apple stock. You don't have to think about any of those, those things because all you're doing is consistently investing. So consistency, I think it is a, a good lesson that you kind of have to practice in other areas of your life before. You can really master it with investing, you know? And, and I don't want you to take that statement and think, I can't start investing. It's not that you have to be super prepared or be perfect at packing your lunch three days a week before you are an investor. It also, I also don't want people to think that you also have to be a hundred percent out of debt to start investing. I wasn't I started investing and I had a lot of debt but I would continue to invest throughout that period until I figured my life out and really got it together um so so I just want to to, to kind of say that you know and that's not to say that you shouldn't start you should always start uh but having these kind of practices in your everyday life really help you manage emotions when it comes to investing you don't have to think about what prices are like, you don't have to think about, Oh, when am I going to buy? Just be consistent Buy every Friday or buy every Monday, whatever, whatever your favorite day of the week is and, and buy and invest.
1: Love it. Love it. So, and I love to talk about consistency. I mean, that's something that I preach pretty regularly. So I want to ask like as a result of that consistency, right? With you packing your lunch, you investing often and all of those things, What are some of the really awesome financial goals that you've been able to hit since you had that turning point and started going in a different direction?
0: Yes, I think that in general, when it comes to financial goals, I know that when you set your mind to something, you can accomplish it. There's like no way around it. It's so funny because when I was saving for example, when I wanted to build my savings up, I would actually, this is really funny, but I would actually, my password to things would be save $10,000. And that's kind of, that was my password. And that was my repetition in my mind. Everywhere I logged in, save save $10,000, save $10,000. Logging into Facebook, save $10,000. And I can realize the power of that and I highly recommend that you do something similar because once you do something like that that repetition something that you do every single day that you have to repeat like entering passwords I mean now we kind of have like uh face recognition and stuff like that but I, there's still places where you have to really type things in but if there's a place in your life where you, there's repetition that's required make it whatever your goal is maybe it's you buy my first home like whatever your goal is just go for it and and repeat it to yourself and make it your mantra and uh you'll accomplish that so i was able i was literally able to accomplish that save ten thousand dollars because of that repetition in my mind and that daily mantra of, of logging into things and and having to repeat that to myself um and it's gotten me to reach my savings goal every year, I feel like my investing goals get higher and higher. <laughs> <So> I <laughs> I always challenge myself more. But it's like, oh wait, if I reach this goal, let me just increase it a little bit more. And I do that with a lot of the work that I do with with my career and even with building up my YouTube channel. Like, there's I always have goals that I that I have to hit that I I go so hard to make sure that you know I I tell p- enough people to have to reach my goal of 2000 subscribers, you know, all of those things. I just really create a mantra for myself when I'm, when I want to accomplish something and just go for it. Because trust me, if you set that goal and you reverse engineer it and figure out what are, okay, this is what I want. If I want to save $10,000, let me do the math on this and see how long it's going to take me. And it's If it's going to take me six months to do that, uh, Let me make sure that that's my deadline. And you set that deadline and you you go for it.
1: Awesome. I love that. So can you talk a little bit now about the goals that you're aiming for, you know, going forward?
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's probably the most exciting thing. And this is what financial freedom is about. Just being able to set a new goal and be excited every day to chase that goal. And so when it comes to investing specifically, I um, invest through uh, my retirement accounts. I have goals for my brokerage account. And I think that uh, a big thing that I talk a lot about on my YouTube channel is real estate because I am really interested in that. That's something that I try to learn a little bit more about every single day so that I can really break into that and and build an uh a real estate investing portfolio, and that's kind of my next step. And this year, I set a goal to save uh, $50,000 specifically in a, an account for real estate, and I'm um, trekking along on that. I feel like COVID-19 kind of kind of stepped into my plans, and I was supposed to at this point have seen plenty of properties and and have done a lot of other things. But, uh, the goal is still there. And even if I don't reach that $50,000 goal, which it kind of looks like I won't for this year, it's still my goal. And I won't stop until I accomplish that. And so once I have that goal, then I can really go to that next step of, okay, the down payment is here. I'm going to invest here. Let me do this research here. Let me connect with this person to learn more about this so that I can, I can just go full force on those goals.
1: I guess the last question that I have for you is, is, it's something that I like to do with all my guests. I like to pose just kind of a hypothetical scenario based on your story. So I want you to talk to the person out there who maybe they want to start investing, but for whatever reason, they're struggling to find that extra money, whether that's from debt or whether that's from, you know, excessive spending or whatever, Um, What would you say to that person that has that desire, but right now they just can't see how to make that work? Three
0: words. Simplify your life. Don't drive yourself crazy. Don't feel like you have to do everything all at once. That's just, it's not, it's not a good way to live. Take your time, uh, set some goals in different parts and, 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 also, give yourself a little bit of grace and realize, like I mentioned just a little while ago, if I don't reach my my money goal, that's okay. You you still have time. Life, trust me, life is long. It continues. We're living more every single day, which is another reason to invest for retirement. <laughs> we live longer every uh, as the years go by, thanks to technology and medical advances. You have time. So don't drive yourself too crazy. Thinking that you have to do it all at once. Start small. Start with those fifty dollars. Uh, if you don't know where to open the account, look, there's two really great ones: Vanguard, Fidelity. You don't have to get too fancy. Just keep it simple. Simplify your life. And when when you simplify you, your life, you realize that you don't need all those things that you were maybe shopping for. You don't, because you're ready. You're covered. You have pretty. I'm pretty sure that everyone listening. God willing has their basic needs. You know, and if you simplify and focus on what your basic needs are and focus on that survival number for yourself, you will find a lot of gratitude and you will um, find those extra $50 cuz trust me, that's all it takes. Start with 50 and and you're going to see that soon enough you're going to be at 100 and 200 and it's just going to keep going up. So find those $50 this month, you know, just, you know, we're, we're in August, it's August, 2020, find those 50, a hundred dollars, open up the account, just open it, put the money in and then figure the rest
1: out. Awesome. Julie. Hey, well, I've enjoyed talking to you so much. This has been a pleasure and an honor to speak to you. And I do want to give you the opportunity to share just everywhere uh, where people can find you if they want to connect with you as a result of hearing this interview.
0: Yes, I am on YouTube. So I make videos all about money and investing, real estate, building credit. Those were the things that really inspired me to start that channel. And they're the pillars of the channel and everything that I do, even if they're different topics, they revolve around that. So you can follow me on YouTube.com slash Investing Latina. You can follow me on Instagram, Investing Latina. You can follow me on Twitter, Investing Latina. So, <laughs> it's I'm Investing Latina everywhere. My name is Alma Taveras, also known as Investing Latina, and I love to talk about money.
1: Well, hey, if you guys want to hear more from Julie, be sure to go follow her. Everywhere she just mentioned. Also, if there's something that maybe you heard earlier in the episode that you might have forgotten about, just look in the episode description and find the link to the show notes page, or you can open your browser and head over to winningtowealth.com slash episode 43. It's there where I'm going to link to Julie's social media pages. And again, all the stuff that she mentioned in this episode. So be sure to go check that out at winningtowealth.com slash episode 43. All right, so now it's time for the win of the week. And what I love about Julie's story is that she continued to constantly challenge herself to seek knowledge and really evolve. So, I mean, going back to the beginning of her story, Julie's family didn't teach her the best ways to handle money. She went and found that knowledge. She didn't really know what she was doing when she first started investing, but she sought wisdom from other people who did. Now she's in a place where she's the one sharing knowledge with other people. And so I want to say that you're doing a great job seeking knowledge and wisdom by listening to podcasts like this. But I want to challenge you to continue learning and growing around areas that you may not be strong in. You can download finance books for free on the Libby app, which is one of my favorites. There are other great money podcasts just like this one. And there are just so many other resources that you can use to grow in knowledge. So be sure to challenge yourself to continue growing, to continue evolving and all that great stuff on your wealth building journey. Now, again, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a five star review or just head to my private Facebook group over at winningtowealth.com slash teammates and we can talk about this particular episode. Also, if you're looking to start your own money transformation, head over to winningtowealth.com slash playbook and download my easy to follow money guide that lays out the simple steps that you can start taking to turn your finances around. Again, that's winningtowealth.com slash playbook for my money guide that's going to give you some simple steps that you can implement today to start turning your finances around. But hey, that's all the time I have for this week. So until we talk again, keep racking up those wins one at a time. Take care. Yay.
0: You've wrapped up another episode of the winning to wealth podcast to learn more about how you can start making winning money decisions. Head over to winning to